changing. You have to elect yourself daily. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. In May of last year, we were wrapping up our second season of UpZones. I was pretty excited. My wife and I were headed off to a delayed honeymoon in Cuba and Spain, and we were going to take that time. And as I had after the first season, we were going to take a little time between episodes of the episodes as well. I didn't have any interviews on the slate because a fresh start made sense. We knew that we wanted to do a builder's season, which we'll get into this year. But I didn't have much more of a vision, and a break was needed. And the other news was, heck, we were going to have a baby. So Michelle and I had a lot on our plate, and I wanted to take some time to do that. Finding out you're going to be a father for the first time is something every man in the world goes through. But there's not really a playbook. Um, so there we were. We went through all the things that you go through when you're expecting parents to morning sickness, the the learning, the anxiety, the doctor's visits, waiting to tell friends, getting through that 12 weeks, you know, when they think you're going to be okay, and then telling friends, telling family. And about just shy of five months in, um, we were having a visit with the doctor and we found out that our little baby girl suffered from something called acrania, which is a congenital defect incompatible with life. This is something that many, 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 many parents have gone through. But to be forced uh, into that situation, to have to take action that you didn't want to take, to have to choose to, for my wife's health, and for the dignity of our baby, we had to terminate the pregnancy. And that is the hardest decision either of us has ever had to make. And for those who've you know lost a baby to a miscarriage before, or an abortion before, or God forbid a child after birth, these are some of the deepest sorrows that a parent can have. In our case, we're sort of right in the middle of all that. You know, we thought we'd be okay. We thought we were expecting a new life in, in our family, and um, that didn't work out. And when you're grieving so hard, and more to the point when your partner and your loved one is grieving so hard, you lose little bit of the ability to focus broadly. You uh, you go to work in the morning. You come home. It's just about all you can do. And um, you, you, there's a certain type of a passion that you have when you're able to suit up at 5 or 6 p.m. after a day of earning your paycheck and interview a bunch of folks and do sound editing. I hate sound editing. I absolutely 
the test editing and to do something that you don't like doing when you have absolutely no emotional capacity and your beloved wife has no emotional capacity, it sort of falls away. The patterns and the habits and the routines that you build because you care about something, and I do really, really care about density, upzoning, urbanization, the little unsexy things that most people don't care about, I do. But all of the little things you have to do to get to build there, booking the guests, getting no a lot and coming back and treating that as a maybe, booking the interview itself once you get the interest, getting them down to the studio, finding studio space, which we've been doing at Horizon Books, but having moved, that was going to be much more difficult. And then, of course, the dreaded sound editing. All of that just sort of fades. It goes by the wayside when your grief is this thing that kind of occupies the full uh, depth of your vision. So you're there healing and, you know, setting up your new place that you live in and, and going to work and punching a clock and making sure that your, your partner is okay. And all of a sudden, a couple months have passed and then a couple more and a couple more. And all of a sudden, you're just not doing the thing and doing the routine that you were doing before. Your routines have changed. I cannot imagine for the life of me living in a place where the incredibly difficult decision we had to make was illegal or would have been encountered by protests or um, invasive uh, medical interventions required by law that were already, you know, our experience was already far, far too real, too real. I can't imagine living in a place like that. And so for me, you know, what I take from this is that at least we live in a place that made that, relatively speaking, as easy as possible. And I carry that when I think about some of the things that I love about this place. And, you know, this year you'll finally, we cut our act together and you'll, you'll hear some of our guests. And one of the themes that I've noticed is that everybody here loves this place. Everybody we talk to loves this place. There's things to fix, you know. There's there's that we we've grown and changed so much in the last decade that inevitably there's fallout and there's a cost to that benefit. But when you can finally look up and your eyes can focus on something other than what's right in front of you, and the grief fades a little bit, you get a little bit wider perspective. The thing that stands out is how special this place is. This is a very, very special place to live, and we want to build it. And for all of the problems, and I think here about the the displacement and the gentrification and the crazy, weird libertarianism and how nobody wants to pay any taxes and how we actually have, you know, a, a potential gubernatorial candidate who is under indictment, uh, potentially, it, it, all of it, right? It, it, these are problems we have to tackle. These are problems we should feel good about tackling. And I just needed to get back on my feet. So to the extent that anyone's even listening anymore, I had some folks tell me I was dead on in the water once I gave up my listenership. My last episode was by far the most listened. But to the extent that anyone is still listening, 
we're going to go tackle some more problems and we're going to build a city and we're going to build a city where people can have families, where people can have community, where people can build roots and where people can uh, thrive and survive and don't have to worry that the city is causing the problems that they have. Okay. Okay. Liz Berry is the executive director of the Washington State Association for Justice. Uh, she's got a long history working in federal politics where she was a staffer for one representative, Gabrielle Giffords. You may know her as a champion for gun violence and a victim of gun violence. It's been a big part of Liz Berry's background. She's now running for the 36th district in the Washington state legislature. I think it was a pretty good conversation to tell you the truth. Uh, we knew someone in common, a cousin of hers was a dear friend of mine back in the old college days. And, uh, um, it opened the door to a very freewheeling and casual conversation that yeah, I'll be the first to admit helped get me back on my feet as an interviewer after about, gosh, seven months off. But in any case, she's, uh, she's a good listen and a good hang. And I hope that you'll give her a chance and, uh, you know. Welcome back. Cool. It's so, so nice yeah, to meet you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And I think the listeners need to understand that the person who introduced us, yes. while he does not live in Seattle, might be one of the most interesting human beings mm -hmm. I've ever met in my life. So Glenn, if you're listening, this is a shout out to you. You're Glenn's cousin. Yeah. So Glenn's mother and my father are first cousins. And Glenn and I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona together. And we saw each other on major holidays. Most notably, Easter is a very big in our family. So we would... That explains the pastel colors he's always wearing. Yes. He embraces that very much. And okay. I would say we're less, we're less, what's the word? Preppy. But anyway, and Glenn and I both went to school in D.C. around the same time. So we would hang out every once in a while. And that's how I know him from my yeah. time in D.C. And yeah. Th th this guy is like, um, uh, he's just sort of a legend of the bar where I used to work when I was younger. And <laughs> I didn't he, know that. He's sort of always, I never knew Glenn when Glenn walked in. It was like cheers, but only for him. You that's know? really so, funny. Yeah. And uh, so, and you're here now. What, when did you come to Seattle? So I moved here in 2011. Okay. My husband is a native. He's mm -hmm. from Mercer Island and we met in DC and he always wanted, he always said the Pacific Northwest was the most beautiful place on earth and he wanted to live here. Mm -hmm. And so we moved out in 2011, kind of before I feel like a lot of the big changes occurred. Yeah. And I feel really lucky to have seen that before all of that happened. Well, that was right when Amazon not right. that it's all Amazon, but right. when Amazon was first investing in AWS, which took yes. an already growing business yeah. and pushed it to hyper growth, I think, for them. And then Microsoft decided they had to catch up, and all of a sudden, everybody's hiring at a crazy rate, right around really 2012, 2013 is right. when it started. You know. So I moved here then, and I fell in love with Pacific Northwest. It's amazing. The West it? is the best. Yeah. Best coast. So I'm from Arizona native. I'm actually a sixth generation Arizonan. Whoa. Um, born and raised. And. Um, 
sort of was in a, lived in a democratic family in a very red state. Yeah. And so yeah. my parents were always very involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first race I ever worked on was in uh, 1988 when my mom ran for the school board. Okay. And she okay. won. And I so remember family affair. it was a family affair. I remember knocking on doors and, you know, stuffing envelopes and putting up yard signs. And so I got the bug then. So I knew I wanted to do politics. I went to D.C. and went to American University. You must have thick skin then if you're still doing it. I mean, <laughs> just the, the voter contact piece and the yes. constant rejection and the yes. slam doors and everything. Oh, yes. How do you deal with that? You just have to have a positive attitude, you know, and you have to really believe in what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like, I, right before I came here, I was on the phone, you know, candidates call call time where you have to call people and yeah. give them for money. And... You know, you hear no a lot, but what's <laughs> yeah. the worst thing you can hear is no, right? Yeah. And then you move on. Well, there's some worse things. Yeah, it's true. No. But you have to be resilient, yeah, I would right, say. You know, right. you have to not let it, you know, deter you. <clears throat> so you grew up in Arizona and then you moved to D.C. for school. Yes. What made you go? Just, you were just politics. like, I'm, I'm politics. Like yep. the whole deal. You're the yep. mock UN or model UN kind of. Yeah, like the student body student government body, person, all, all you know. Yes, yeah. yes. So I, did you do that when you were? Um, I didn't actually. No, you know, it's funny. I didn't do that at AU. I was more of. Um, I did journalism there mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I, my big thing was I wanted to study abroad. Mm-hmm. So I did my whole junior year in Southern Africa and Brussels Whoa. and in Brussels and in, in Cape town, my, my, the first semester I interned in the first woman mayor's office of Cape town, which Whoa. was really cool. That's exciting. Yeah. And yeah. then in Brussels, I interned in the U S embassy Okay. in the political economics department. So you're the kind of, you, you're yeah. the kind of kid that would have gone <laughs> into the foreign service. If yes, the, actually. Yeah. And I actually, the guys there encouraged me to take the foreign service exam. I say guys, because it was this kind of old school bureau with a lot of men and and they were really supportive of me. And I actually took the foreign service exam in Prague Mm -hmm. because I happened to be in Prague that weekend when they were giving the test. And, um, I passed the written, I didn't pass the oral. And so it was one of those things where, you know, I could have gone back and done that path, Mm -hmm. but because of that, I went into us politics. So it's kind of like, the path could have sure. taken either way. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I remember failing a yeah. big engineering exam. Yeah. Like <laughs> you could have been an engineer. You never know, but now <laughs> right. I'm just talking about tech right. stuff instead of doing it. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. That's fun. So then you came back here, and you, I'm assuming you meet your husband pretty soon thereafter. Met him in DC. Yeah. He went to G Dubs. Mm-hmm. I went to American. Glenn went to Georgetown. So. Yeah. The famous Glenn. Who the famous Glenn. <laughs> My listeners have no idea who the hell that is, but that's okay. We're gonna we're gonna lean in hard on this. Yeah, we are leaning that hard on Glenn. Then when I graduated, I stayed in DC mm-hmm. and worked a couple stints at the you know, I worked at the women's campaign fund helping to elect women to public office, mm-hmm. which is a big passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And I worked um, at a political consulting firm for the 06 cycle. And then in 2006, a little-known congresswoman from Southern Arizona was elected, Gabby Giffords, Mm -hmm. from Southern Arizona. Mm -hmm. And because I was a native, I was so excited about her. So I knocked on her door and asked if I could work for her. Yeah. Okay. And it works. It's the best way. I think I just asked you to be on the show. Yeah, you said and yes I, I said yes. Right. <laughs> so, you know, against persistence. So I um I started off as her legislative correspondent in her office. And I actually you'll like this tidbit is I take starting up a congressional office kind of like a startup company. Like you mm-hmm. start at zero, right? You start with nothing. And you kind of have to build everything from like your library of 
constituent letters. Like, you don't really know what her position is on, you know, saving the bunny rabbits. You know, you have to you have to kind of go to her on all this stuff and kind of figure it out together to how you're going to manage, like, meetings and policy. And so it's yeah. kind of fun, you know, to be right. on the ground level with it all. And actually, I was with, was with her for four years. Lastly, as her legislative director, and I was her longest-serving D.C. staffer. So I was with her for a long time. That was amazing. I mean, and you always say when you go to Capitol Hill, it's all run by a bunch of, like, 24-year-olds. Well, it totally is, and I was one of those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you were with her. So let me think through. So that was 06. Mm-hmm. And then the shooting happened in, if I'm not mistaken, what, 09? Early January 09? of 11. Oh, oh, so wrong cycle. Sorry, I was yes. thinking in the, the cycles. But. Right. So so you there for, were you with her the whole time? So I, so I had just left her office a few weeks before the shooting because oh, I was going to move God. out here okay. with my husband. And we, as soon as, you know, we heard, because you know, it was just devastating. And not only was she shot, but... One of my um, fellow colleagues was killed, Gabe Zimmerman. We started on the same day, and we actually had the same birthday, so I was thinking of my birthday. And um, two of our other colleagues were shot, Ron Barber and Pam Simon. And so when we heard the news, I mean, the first thing I could do was jump on a plane and go out to Tucson and try to help. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was really important to Congresswoman to open the office the next Monday morning at 8.30, mm-hmm. just like we would. Like so I was there yeah. helping with, you know, open the office and have things moving and help direct all the people who are coming in from all over the country to help. Um, I was really honored to help plan Gabe's memorial service and also when President Obama came to visit, mm-hmm. which was really wonderful for him. So yeah. I was out there for a couple of weeks just helping out. And, and then after that, I sort of, I mean, it's one of those things that happens in your life where you'll, you know, it affects you profoundly yeah. and it kind of sets a direction of kind of what you want to do with your life and it kind of makes you think, what am I doing here and what do I want to be? Yeah. I mean, it you must know? have, I, I'm curious to, cause you must have taken a bit of a shine to Gabby Giffords if yeah. you were with her for five years. Oh and, yeah. And then to see someone who's a bit of a, a congresswoman, a bit, probably a bit of a, even, even then probably still a bit on a pedestal to see that we're all like right. kind of meat puppets, like we could die at any time mm. and that that we're all even whether you're sweeping floors or you're the president, like you're a body mm-hmm. that, that can be harmed, you know? Yeah. And I, I can imagine I've been through not at that level, which in my life, when you experience that, it's, it's a very jarring and yeah. it causes you to reflect a little bit. on what Right. You want. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, it was really hard, you know, and Gabby is so, like such a read for me. She's just true resilience and grit mm-hmm and hard work to see how far she's come, you know, in her recovery and then to build a movement to, um, help curb gun violence in our country. I'm just so inspired by her. Um, and so how does she do on a day-to-day basis these days? She's doing really well, actually segue if I'm allowed to to say, of course. Okay. So she, you can, you can curse on this thing too. Oh, I can. If you want to swear, if you want to drop like an F bomb for emphasis. I actually am a big cursor, but I'm trying you know, I don't want to be too. Yeah, you're trying to mouth. cut it, cut it down a little, a little bit. bit. You a little don't bit. have to do that. Okay, good. Okay, you good. Drop. My first ever guest, ever first ever episode, asked if you could curse, and I said, "Fuck yeah!" You can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good to know. Okay, um, and you can segue into whatever. Okay, you want well, so I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, I think. Yeah. But I am running for the state house in the 36th district, and um, Gabby's coming out to do my kickoff on March 1st. So I'm really honored she's flying all the way up from Arizona to do that, and. I I just, it's, it's, yeah, she's like a hero of mine. So for her to come and do that. And so she's doing really well. Um, She's running um, her organization called Giffords, which 
um, is working to end have responsible gun violence solutions in our country. And she travels all around the country, you know, raising money and helping bring awareness to the issue and helping to elect champions Mm -hmm. on this issue. So she's great. I just saw her. I was at a wedding a few weeks ago in Arizona, and she was there with Mark, her husband. Mm -hmm. The the astronaut. The astronaut who happens to be running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona. (laughs) It'll be the first time in 66 years that we'll have two U.S. senators that are Democrats in Arizona. Yeah. Which no, is that, so that's exciting. wild, right? It's that's wild. Good. I mean, as a native, it's mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Mm-hmm. So, and he's awesome. I mean, he's just literally a badass astronaut. So let me ask you about, about gun violence, actually. Mm-hmm. That's not an issue I touch on a ton, but it's interesting to right. me. What are we doing here? What's what's Washington State thinking about? I know that we had a, a, guns, a law passed maybe about four or five years ago around... The sale of guns, right? And how yeah, background checks. Background checks mm-hmm. and stuff. So Washington's actually known as being a leader in mm-hmm. um, different laws. Excuse me. <coughs> um, oh, take it down. Um, okay, let me try over again. We can edit. <coughs> Washington is actually known as being a leader in gun violence prevention laws. So as you said, I don't remember how many, four or five years ago, we passed one of this first background checks bills in Washington State. Still, they have not done that on a national level, which is just insane to me that that hasn't happened. Um, I know we've passed other legislation around domestic violence and gun laws and making sure guns are taken out of the hands of domestic violence abusers. And something that's really important to me is banning high-capacity magazines and assault weapons. So if you remember the shooting that happened in downtown Seattle just a few weeks ago. Well, that's where I was going. Yeah, exactly. So... Apparently, the shooters had high-capacity magazines, Mm -hmm. and if those were banned in our state and much more difficult to get a hold of, Mm -hmm. they might not have been able to harm as many people. So let me ask you an honest question, Mm -hmm. not not a trolling question. Yes. This is posed as a troll very often, but I I mean it. Um, Okay. Does banning these kinds of magazines actually stop? I mean, I would say yes. I mean, I think the more that we can put up more barriers Mm -hmm. in front of people to get access to weapons that are meant to kill a lot of people at one time, military-style weapons, Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a personal issue for me um, because of my experience with gun violence and my friends um, and colleagues. You know, I think that this is an issue that takes a lot of courage. We have to have people stand up. It's not... Something, you know, there's a lot of people on the other side. And believe me, I've already been trolled, by the way, mm-hmm. by pro-NRA people for mm-hmm. even just telling people probably that I worked for Gabby and then I want to do something about gun violence in Washington State. I mean, they are out there finding you, looking you up. Yeah. I mean, it's really scary, actually. Yeah. And it's very much an intimidation tactic, too, because they Running know Running a progressive doing. campaign in the modern information right. ecosystem is, is almost like... It's a, really scary. A, an exercise in, in masochism. Right, of. exactly. I mean, really, yeah. Well, and there's things that simple as that we can do around this issue, just like forming a gun safety commission, like a traffic Mm -hmm. safety commission, where it's totally nonpartisan, it's experts that are looking at the issue as the public health issue that it is and Mm -hmm. putting together sensible policy ideas for lawmakers to look at. And I think that we need, I mean, it's killing thousands of people every year. Like we need to look at it as an epidemic and we need to treat it that way. And I'm really proud to be in a state where we've, you know, got after this issue year after year and I want to be a champion for it when I'm in the state house. That's great. I mean, yeah, we, we, we have had a, a very, sorry there, I kicked you there. <laughs> we, we've had a, some kind of an outbreak here in South Seattle of um, right. shootings this past few months. It's, it's, it's unclear other than that it may be gang related, but it's, it's something that the, 
the folks here voters seem to care about now. So right, yeah, and yeah. So you you know just you you know you you wrapped up with the congresswoman. Mm-hmm. You came here, and um, I mean, what what anchors you to Seattle? What is it so, about Seattle that you love so much? Oh, I love it. Well, best coast, west coast, best coast. Um, my, we have a family here. So, and when I came here, I immediately fell in love with the politics. You know, I think that there's a really vibrant scene around ideas and issues that I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, in 2012, right when I moved down here, I ran a congressional race and then I ran the Secretary of State's race. And I got to know a lot of players just really quickly in mm-hmm. the political world and really enjoyed. You know, the one thing about Washington State is there's just a lot of like advocacy around issues, but also like there's money in politics here. So you can do cool things and people are like willing to like invest in races and like good money, good money. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you go to Arizona and you're a Democrat, it's like not a well-funded effort. Like you're kind of out on your own. Yeah, of course. Super shoestring. Exactly. And so uh, it's like professionalized, I should say, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what I'm trying to say. I think I'm trying to say it in a, in a good way, not in a bad way. Why run for office though? Why step, subject yourself to that? I know. So basically, I when I go down to Olympia and I'm running for state house, so to represent the 36th legislative district in Olympia, I don't see a lot of people who are down there living experiences that I'm living right now. And what I mean is I'm a young working mom with two little kids. Mm. I have a three and a half year old and a four month old. Mm. I'm a nonprofit executive director, and I've been a champion for women in leadership my whole career. So you know, these opportunities in districts like mine, so in Seattle, the 36th legislative district is the kind of district where you just, there aren't openings, right? There's an open seat right now. There's actually an open seat in the 37th where we're sitting right now also. Oh, I know that quite well. Okay, okay. All right. I have my thoughts. Okay, I, yeah, I don't really <laughs> I know a lot about it. I have a clear favorite. But okay. We'll oh, spare. somebody you've interviewed before. Yes. Yes, I, I saw. <laughs> yeah. I like her too. And so when these opportunities open, you just have to walk through the door, right? right. And so for me, it's like, yeah, this is going to be really hard. I'm working a full-time job. I have two little kids at home. Mm-hmm. I just had a baby in September. Yeah, congratulations. But thank you. But, you know, like change can't wait. And if I want to go down there and fix things like affordable, quality, accessible childcare, fully mm-hmm. fund public education, I'm literally living that right now. And I yeah. don't feel like people in Olympia are doing anything to fix that. That's right. Gun violence in our society, you know, climate. I mean, we can go on about that, but like, hello, boomers, like we have to do something yeah. to fix climate. Yeah. And I feel an urgency to do that. And I mean, we do all, we fund all this by fixing our upside down tax code, mm-hmm. period. And, you know, I think that 36 district is one of those places where we should be electing. It's an 85% democratic voting district. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like very, very democratic. We should be electing people who are going to be bold, progressive champions and want to do awesome things. And that's why I'm running. That's awesome. I mean, what can we do? I, look, a big part of the shift in mindset that has to happen, and maybe I'm alone here. I don't. I don't think I am. You know, it, is there, it's we've got to change our mindset. We've got to think like a city, not like a suburb that happens to have Amazon and Microsoft in it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like single family zoning. Mm-hmm. What can what can a, a state legislator mm-hmm. do to kind of help, you know, shift that mindset to, to kind of lead that change and say, look, we're urbanizing. Right. We've got to catch the growth. Right. And rather than just keep sprawling and all that good stuff. Right. I mean, what, 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 what can you do in that, in that role? Well, that's a great question. I think with transit, there's a lot you can do, right? Funding, 
ST3 is just going to take like forever, you know, <laughs> and it kind of blows my mind that like the stop in Queen Anne where I live and my district is, is going to be finished like when my son's 17 years old yeah. and he's like three and a half, yeah. you know, like I did the math and I thought, oh, I guess George will be driving by then. So it doesn't yeah. really matter anyway. But we'll want him on trains. But we'll want him on trains yeah. instead yes. of in a single car. Yeah. So for me, that is like, not a, that's not acceptable to me. Yeah. You know, I want to go down there and push the envelope and say, okay, well, why, like, why can't we do this sooner? Well, they're going to say money. Okay, well then let's find more revenue for mm -hmm. this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And then also I think, you know, we've got a real infrastructure problem in my district around bridges. Like the mm. Magnolia Bridge and mm -hmm. the Ballard Bridges are literally going to crumble if we mm. have another earthquake. And it has taken over 10 years of just having these conversations or what are we going to do about this stuff? Well, let's invest in it and fix these bridges before yeah. something devastating happens, right? Well, yeah. So you talk about revenue, right? You earlier said about like inverting the tax code. What do you mean by that? So right now... Um, the poorest among us pay the most in taxes. And that's mostly because we do not have an income tax in the state. Mm -hmm. I've never lived anywhere where we haven't had a state income tax. So even, I'm just even Arizona. There. Even Arizona has a state yeah, income tax. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. Okay, Earth. so you guys do too. I mean, just of the, course you the do. city taxes. Right. And, you know, you're paying more to live in your city. Exactly. Here, you know, exactly. So, yeah. so I think that's one way to look at it. And there's a lot of economic modeling, you know, I'm putting quotations up that people are doing to figure out like, okay, so if we instate an income tax, how does that look with B&O tax and sales tax and property mm -hmm. taxes? Mm -hmm. And we have to make sure that once we do all that modeling, we're still going to get more revenue overall, but that we're not taxing the poorest among us, the highest rates. Right. right? So I think it's something like the richest people pay like 3% in taxes, which is crazy to me, the highest income earners. So clearly, you know, we need to do something around that. And actually my seatmate, I'm going to say knock on wood, uh, Noelle Frame, who represents the 36th district, she's really taking the lead on this in Olympia and has a, a work group going, a bipartisan work group, and also has a listening tour schedule to go around the state and talk to people about these different options. And hopefully, you know, something will be on the table really soon. And I support that. And the, at, the, at the same time, because we don't have time to waste on this and we need revenue for all kinds of important things now, I support a capital gains tax, mm -hmm. which um, estimates up to a billion dollars in new revenue. Right. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, and, and in terms of the other thing is just in terms of like, I know that there is legislation around, you know, ADUs and zoning. Yeah. I mean, do you have any kind of vision for how we can take that to the state level? I would say that, you know, I would want to be a partner for the city that I represent, which would be Seattle, as much as I can be to make sure that we build all kinds of affordable op housing options that we can. And one thing that I can do at the legislative level that I know about is do things like lift the, per the percent cap on rent control. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like there's this statewide ban on Rent control, I think it's like 1%. I might be getting that wrong, but I would want to be a partner, you know, with my city who mm -hmm. is saying to us, look, like we need to lift this cap so we can do what we need to do to keep people in their houses here in Seattle. Yeah. You know, that's something that I can do. Certainly issues around funding for affordable housing and homeless services and mental health services and social services. Like I want to be a champion for all those things. And I'm really proud that Nicole Macri, who's a state representative, who's a real leader on this issue, has so endorsed me. And I would look to her as a leader on these issues to mm -hmm. say, okay, well, you're an expert in homelessness and housing. You know, what can I do to be a champion 
on these issues? Mm -hmm. How can I be a partner in these things? And I think the state needs to see it as a role, as a real partnership. It's not just in our cities. It's in our rural areas and our suburban areas also, homelessness and housing issues. And it's a funding issue. We all need to come together and come to the plate with solutions and be willing to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like revenue is a big it's part huge. of what you're trying to do, which I just love and admire. So thank you. <laughs> but I'm curious. I mean, you're representing Queen Anne. Are mm-hmm. you worried that that, um, you know, that 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 maybe falls a little flat in in what I would describe as a one of the wealthier neighborhoods in the in the city? I mean. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think that my neighbors and my district understand, I mean, they see what I see, which mm-hmm. is the park in my neighborhood where my kids play, where there are tents up, mm-hmm. right? And people are living in tents and it's really, it makes me sad that people are living this way and also makes me angry that, you know, my kids can't play in that park because there's nowhere for them to go right now, right? right. And so I feel like, you know, I when I talk to people at the door, they understand that and they're willing to step up more to the plate to pay their fair share to mm-hmm. make sure that our community stays affordable and stays a place that all people can live and thrive. So, you know, I, I'm just not afraid. You know, I think that it's an issue we need to talk about and we have to have people who are willing to say it. And I don't think we should shy away from it just because it's not popular. Like, I think it's the right thing if to do. If it's the right thing to do. And, and I do find that there's a strong status quo bias. I mean, once if you can get folks to... Right. Um, a place where maybe there is more progressive taxation. Well, we talk about it more, too. Like, you know, like my district should be the kind of district where you have people that are saying, okay, let's do this. What can I do to help? Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just think that, you know, the Seattle delegation should really be leading on that, probably Mm -hmm. because we have some of the highest income earners in our area, but also because we are are elected by these huge Democratic majorities. Mm -hmm. Like, if they don't support it, then... We're really in yeah, trouble will, on that. Yeah. But, you know, for me, another huge issue that I want to use that increased revenue for is affordable quality child care. Like, mm-hmm. I'm living this right now with two small kids. You know, let alone if you're poor. Yeah. I mean, no one can access. You're on wait lists when you're pregnant. You're, you know, my son's preschool closed suddenly in June of last year. And, like, he was out of school for six months. Like, oh, we couldn't get yeah. in anywhere, yeah. right? And um, this is a real revenue issue. Like, we have to just invest more in lifting up the working class families, middle class families, and helping them afford it. And once we put more money into this issue, it'll rise up all the other centers. More centers will be able to keep open because they have a more an income stream that's more reliable. The workers will be paid better. Um, and I'm even when I'm talking to labor unions about this issue, they care a lot about this because it's affecting their workforce. They have guys that need to be on the job at three in the morning in downtown Seattle building buildings, and they don't have daycare centers that yeah. open up until six a.m. Right? Same goes for women that they're trying to get trained in apprenticeship programs. You know, the women can't find childcare for their kids, so they're missing sessions. Like it goes both ways. Right. That's right. So I mean, it's something that I think. And again electing someone who's going through these lived experiences now, I think will really help put a dent in this issue because mm-hmm. I think the legislature has a lot of people who are, you know, just not living it. Maybe they lived it 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the issue has shifted so much. Very since much then. So. Yeah. so, Hey, so we've been ending our shows with a segment where we just kind of get something from the, uh, the speaker, but we're changing, we changed up for this year. So the question is just, what do you want to build? Oh, that's a great question. I know, I wrote it. I want to build a movement that represents 
millennial working families in our government. Mm. And, you know, I've been a champion for women in leadership my entire career. And, you know, most lastly, as president of the National Women's Political Caucus of Washington State, we work to elect, recruit, and um, help raise money for women to run for office at all levels. And it is still not acceptable to me that we do not have parity at every level mm. of government between mm-hmm. men and women. And I think when we finally achieve that, we will see policies that are more reflective of the population. And that's why issues like fixing our child care system has not happened, why, you know, while public education is not properly funded, I think that we need to have those more diverse voices at the table. And so I want to be a part of this movement. I'm a millennial. I'm a young working mom with two young kids. And I want to go to Olympia and make change happen. And people, you know, people say about me, they say I'm tenacious. Okay. I'm like a dog on a bone. So like you elect me, we're going to get this stuff done. And I just have a lot of energy and excitement around it. And I don't want to lose that. Right. Like I want to go there and do great things and then go do something else. Yeah. That sounds really exciting. <laughs> Liz, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It was really nice to meet Come you. Come back anytime. That was Liz Berry. Check out the kickoff to her campaign this Sunday, March 1st, from 2.30 to 4 p.m. It's a free event. It's at the historic Ballard Homestead. Again, that's Sunday, March 1st, from 2.30 to 4. This was the first episode of the third season of UpZones. I hope you liked it. Remember that all music is by the Subcons. Dope opening poetry sample is by Tony McPherson. This is a Cascadia Underground production, and I'm your host, my favorite, Ian Martinez. We'll see you next week, the week after that, and the week after that. <laughs>